Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today for Wednesday, September 23rd of 2020. I'm your host, Carrie Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. A second vet school for Texas will become a reality soon. I'm Jessica Dommel and I'll have that story coming up. Busy time of year in Deep South Texas agriculture. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Neighbor, many areas of our state that don't normally catch excessive amounts of moisture have done so. We'll speak about that on today's program. I'm Larry Marble reporting from the big country. We'll have those stories plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's a look at news headlines. It has been a roller coaster week for funding USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation. At first, it looked like the House was not going to replenish the CCC funding, and that would end up delaying farm program payments. It will get replenished sometime in November, early December, and that means that all of these payments, potentially most of them, would be delayed for five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it is, and that's just simply not fair. That's Texas Congressman Mike Conaway, who is also the ranking member of the House Agriculture Committee. These are the bank the bankable items that... Uh, that uh, the Farm Bill provides year in and year out. This allows the cash flow planning, uh, the banking, lending, all those kind of things are predicated on these payments coming out in October. And my Democrat colleagues have chosen to not do that. However, late last night, a deal was reached. Republicans agreed to allow more food and nutrition funding in exchange for funding the CCC. Democrats have argued the CCC needs more accountability. Top Senate Ag Committee Democrat Debbie Stabenow. There may be folks saying, well, if we don't get these extra funds, um, which really amounts in many ways to a slush fund because there's no accountability around where this is going. Stabenow and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi believe the continuing resolution passed by the House now includes that accountability. The House stopgap budget bill runs through December 11th. A second vet school for Texas will become a reality soon. Jessica Domel has more. The Texas Tech University School of Veterinary Medicine is one step closer to opening its doors as the second veterinary school in the state. On Tuesday, the school announced it has received a letter of reasonable assurance from the American Veterinary Medical Association Council on Education. The move means the university can now begin the application process for the inaugural class of about 60 students for the fall of 2021. The letter from the Council on Education means that if the school follows through on its detailed plan, they have reasonable assurance it will meet the standards of accreditation. Texas Tech University broke ground on the veterinary school in Amarillo more than a year ago. The university says the plan is for the school to admit students with a passion to serve in rural and regional communities. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's a busy time of year in deep south Texas. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at what's going on in the Rio Grande Valley. My guest from the Rio Grande Valley today is Jim Hearn as he reports uh, from the southernmost region of the state as uh, 
The season of fall has begun, Jim, and uh, down there in your area, of course, uh, temperatures are not necessarily fall-like at this point, but uh, yet farmers and ranchers are very busy. Uh, Give us an idea of what is going on agriculturally right now. Well, Tom, always a pleasure to visit with you, and uh, it is a busy time for valley producers. Right now, temperatures are still well up into the 80s for daytime highs, though we are cooling off some. Special producers right now are getting ready to plant cabbage and carrots, all the salad greens that we'll be enjoying for this winter. Uh, cattle producers, uh, they're also busy right now. There, a lot of them are getting in another cutting of hay. Uh, they're starting to clean stock tanks and get ready for new, uh, new calves. It'll be dropped here pretty quick. Uh, also, our citrus producers, uh, right now we're about three weeks away from our uh, harvest of early oranges. Uh, that will continue for several months, and we'll pick up grapefruit probably in the early part of November. Uh, that will carry us to the front to the first of the year, and uh, then we'll of course uh, move on into Valencia oranges later on. Uh, as far as row crop producers right now, extremely busy for them. They're bedding up for next spring. Some are getting down some pre-plant fertilizer. Uh, many of them are still though trying to dry out from the damage caused by Hurricane Hannah. Uh, and we uh, will hopefully will be uh, drying out some, and, and we've had a lot of rain since Hannah even, so that's even uh, hampered growers even more. So, Jim, with that rain, uh, let's talk about the uh, livestock and pasture uh, conditions right now. So you should have uh, ample supply of water right now for those, uh, uh, for those cattle, and, and what do the pastures look like? Pastures are as green as I can ever remember for a September. Uh, Also, right now, stock tanks are full. Cattle producers are really smiling right now. They've had a lot of grass uh, grown this year. Uh, You know, we don't want to see a frost or heavy freeze uh, because that would uh, leave that that as tender for uh, wildfires, which we have had from time to time out in the western end of the valley. You know, just a few weeks ago, the western end of the valley had heat indexes that were over 120 degrees. So this weather is really going back and forth, and right now we are enjoying a little bit of cooler weather. Almost feels like autumn in the Rio Grande Valley then. (laughs) It certainly does. Well, we'll be looking for those daytime highs when they get into the 70s and maybe low 80s for a high. And that's not, uh, not this week. No, not not this week and maybe not next week either, but it's on the horizon for us. Again, that is Jim Hearn reporting for us today from the Texas Rio Grande Valley. This is Texas News and Views. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Many areas of Texas have had more than their share of rain this year. Larry Marble reports from the Texas Big Country. Neighbor, I've told you before, my great-granddaddy Marble always used to say there's only two people that don't like rain. One's a fool, the other's a newcomer, and I know that Benny Cox from Producers and Cargyle is neither. Benny, how long's it been since you've seen this much moisture in your part of the country, that San Angelo area? Jeez, I don't know. It's rained anywhere from, I heard somebody say three and a half, kind of four to eight inches around here. There's water standing everywhere. I had a place out west of town I've had for about 30 years. It's got a field, it's got a field in it, and, uh, and then there's a bunch of pasture land with it, and there's a tank, and it won't hold rained enough that first get-go, which had to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four inches or better and it put some water in there 
Sunday, clouds came up. I went over yesterday, and it filled the thing. It's a big tank. Yeah. It filled it up, of course, it'll, it'll go back down. But, I mean, it took a lot of water to do that. We've had these little downpours and stuff around fire up. It's, it's a godsend. It actually, for warm weather grasses, though, it's, it's really, a, it's, you know, it's about a month late, three right. weeks or so. I, I think you and I talked about it. You take care of your yard, fertilize it, yeah. do all the mowing and stuff. About the third week in September, you know, that mowing cuts gets off it changes big time yeah is the wheat where you can row it yet no there wasn't wow. enough moisture to think about doing anything like that but i'll tell you as warm as this old ground is and this and that if they can get it in there it'll it'll jump out of the ground so fast it makes you think my goodness gracious what happened neighbor i guess that area around fort stockton and van horn did not catch much from what i've been told now they have caught some up near seymour abilene wiley that area let's talk to henry pickett from up Seymour Way. See what he has to say, Henry. What's the wheat ground looking like? There's a little bit in the ground already, but most of them are just getting ready to start just as soon as it dries up enough. So the tractors and the drills and all the other application methods for sowing it in the ground are ready and the fertilizer's down. Reporting from the big country, I'm Larry Marble. This week is Rail Safety Week, and the American Farm Bureau Federation is promoting safety tips for farmers and ranchers around railroad crossings. Michael Clements has more from Washington. Operation Lifesaver partners with American Farm Bureau and other groups during Rail Safety Week to remind farm equipment operators to pay extra attention where field and farm access roads cross train tracks. Operation Lifesaver Executive Director Rachel Molle says Rail Safety Week promotes ways to be safe around crossings. Rail Safety Week is a concentrated effort on the work that we do on a daily basis, which is getting the rail safety message out to keep people and communities safe on and around railroad tracks. This year, we're joined by our partners in Canada as well as Mexico, making Rail Safety Week a true North American effort. So far in 2020, Operation Lifesaver reports 149 accidents at private railway crossings on farms. Male offers these tips for farmers as they cross private railway crossings. When you come up on a crossing, especially on farms, slow down as you approach the crossing, stop, look both ways. You want to make sure you stop at least 15 feet from the crossing because trains can over overhang the track. You want to look and listen for a train, look both ways and look again before you cross. And then you want to cross when it's clear. Once you start crossing the tracks, you don't want to hesitate and you don't want to change gears. If equipment gets stuck on the tracks, Male says to leave the vehicle and call the number on the blue and white crossing locator sign or call 911. She urges farmers to explore more railway safety tips online. The best way is to go to our website, oli.org. And you can learn more about Operation Lifesaver, connect with a state coordinator, download videos, posters, and safety messages. Michael Clements, Washington. The storm system, formerly known as Tropical Storm Beta, continues to drop large amounts of rain across Texas and Louisiana. USDA's Stephanie Ho has more. Tropical activity in the Atlantic is this week's weather headline. On Monday evening, Tropical Storm Beta moved inland near Port O'Connor, Texas, and Beta moving very slowly after moving inland and continues to produce a small area of very heavy rain, mainly north of the center. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says Beta has weakened and is turning into a multi-day heavy rain event. We could see anywhere from 6 to 12 inches of additional rainfall along the middle and upper Texas coast. 
and adjacent inland areas. And then as the system begins to weaken, we're looking at mostly totals in the three to six inch range from Louisiana across the Mississippi River and on toward the southern Appalachians. He notes one thing to watch for. We do expect most of the flash flooding and urban flooding and eventual river flooding to be west of the Mississippi, primarily across lower southeastern Texas and perhaps into parts of Louisiana. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. What is the best time of day to hunt dove? I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have more on Texas Ag Today. And you can't deworm your cattle herd in the same way your granddad did. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd says cattle deworming is a much more complicated process if you do it right. He'll have more on that coming up next on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to oli.org for info. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Deworming your cattle used to be easy, but those little parasites have gotten a whole lot smarter here over the last several years. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has some tips on effective deworming for your cattle herd. Years ago, the deworming medications were new and very effective, but not so today as lots of resistance has developed and no new deworming compounds have been discovered. Consequently, you can't just give the dewormer and assume it is effective at killing the parasites. To determine the effectiveness of your deworming medication, a fecal egg count reduction test is recommended. Dr. D.L. Stepp with Boringer indicates at Bovine Veterinarian that this is the best method to determine if the deworming products are effective. The timing of the test after deworming depends on the dewormer used, but in general, fecal samples would be taken directly out of the cow, not off the ground, and a fecal egg per gram count would be performed before and after deworming on about 20 cows. When collecting samples, be sure and collect samples from the same age and management group of cattle as the parasite load can vary. It is also important to administer the deworming products according to the label instructions. The products were tested according to the label, and if the label is not followed, the product may not be effective. The product must be stored correctly and the animal must be dosed according to their weight. If you administer a lower dose than recommended, resistance is likely to develop, so make sure you determine the animal's weight as close as possible so you will be using the correct dosage. You cannot dose on the average weight of the herd, and investing in a scale at your chute may be cost-effective by using the correct dose of dewormer and killing more parasites. It will also prevent you from overdosing and save you money. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. What is the best time of day to hunt dove? Jessica Domel has some dove hunting advice in today's wildlife report. 
Dove hunting season is well underway across Texas, and if you're one of the hunters who hasn't had much luck, don't worry yet. We have a few hunting tips that may help. Bobby Thornton, co-founder of the Texas Dove Hunters Association, says the best time of day to hunt dove varies by person and location. Personally, I prefer the afternoon hunts. They're a little hotter. The morning hunts are a lot cooler, and the morning hunts are good hunts. What you have to take into consideration if you're hunting a field, if you're hunting birds that are feeding, is if you go in the afternoon, then the birds have probably, depending on when you go, already made their way to that field to feed. When they come out of that field, they're headed either one to water or two to roost. And if it's a late afternoon, they're headed to roost. And the reason why is because dove require an ultraviolet ray to see at night, so they don't. You generally don't see them flying at night. Uh, that doesn't mean they don't. There are those that do, but for the most part, they are in the trees at night. Whereas in the morning, again, if you're hunting a field, then you're in the field before the birds are moving to the field because they're waiting for it to get light. Uh, you know, it's hit or miss depends on what you like, but um, I personally prefer the afternoon hunts for huntable populations. But uh, morning hunts are also a lot of fun, very exciting. It's kind of like all of a sudden the light turns on, somebody opened the gate, and here they come. That's a lot of fun. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. We finally saw a turnaround in the cattle market today. We've been trading lower all week so far, but we did have a positive close in both live and feeder cattle today. We'll run down all of the closing prices for livestock, cotton, grains, and energy markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. After two days of lower closes, we finally turned things around today and ended up with a higher close in the cattle futures complex, both live and feeder cattle ending in positive territory today. October live cattle up 67 cents, 107.15. The December up a dollar two, 111.20. February live cattle up 60 cents, 114.80. Feeder cattle finishing higher, October up 90 cents, 141.52. November feeders up 47, 141.65. Now over to the cash markets, fed cattle still at a standstill. Feedlots hanging on, hoping to get higher money this week. And this turnaround in the futures market today may have been the motivation that they needed to hang on to their cattle and hopefully get a little more money out of the packers as we get toward the end of the week. We did have some sales in the online fed cattle auction today, but of course very light volume. We had 148 head of Texas cattle that sold at 104 and a quarter, 71 head of Kansas cattle sold at 104 even. Boxed beef prices higher, choice up 96, 216.40, select up $1.63, 207.93. 
Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. We ended up selling 1,955 head at East Texas Livestock in Crockett yesterday. The trend was steady to higher. Two to 300 pound steers sold from $1.61 to $1.88. Three to four weight steers, $1.41 to $1.88. Four to five weight steers, $1.31 to $1.71. Five to 600 pound steers, $1.24 to $1.48 a pound with six to seven weight steers bringing $1.15 to $1.36 a pound. Slaughter cows, 44 to 69 cents. Slaughter bulls, 81 to 95. Stocker cows brought 700 to 13.75 a head. Brazos Valley Livestock Commission in Bryan selling 933 head yesterday. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.60 to $1.95. Three to four weights, $1.60 to $1.93. Four to five hundred pound steers, a dollar forty-five to a dollar seventy-nine. Five to six weights brought a dollar twenty-seven to a dollar forty-four. Six to seven hundred pound steers, a dollar seventeen to a dollar thirty-two. With the heavyweights, seven to eight hundred pounders bringing a dollar twenty-four to a dollar twenty-eight a pound. Slaughter cows, forty-two to sixty-five cents. Slaughter bulls, sixty-five to seventy-five. Stocker cows, seven fifty to eleven hundred a head. Cow-calf pairs brought eight fifty to ten fifty a pair. Back over to the futures board, where we had another sharply higher close in the hog market. October lean hogs up a dollar seventeen sixty nine fifty. December up twenty five sixty four thirty five. October class three milk up five cents eighteen forty seven a hundred weight. The cotton market closed lower. Cotton continues to get pushed and pulled in different directions. A lot of factors. We have all this weather problem out there with these storms coming in and putting rain on this cotton crop at harvest time. That's definitely a positive factor that helps support the market. But you still have much weaker global demand. With all of this COVID-19, there just isn't the demand for cotton and textiles that we usually have. So both of those factors really pushing the market up and down. As I said, we ended up closing lower with October down 8 points, 63.76. December cotton down 29, 65.25. The wheat market closed lower. Wheat market has been bounced around a bit here lately as well. A lot of that coming from support and pressure in the soybean market. A lot of Chinese purchases helping to boost soybeans and corn. And the wheat market has just been kind of following those markets up and down. Ended up closing the day lower today with December wheat down seven and a half, four eighty-four and a quarter. New crop July wheat down seven and a quarter, five oh eight and a half. December corn down three quarters, closing at 468 and a half. Natural gas closing sharply higher. October up 29 cents at 212. November crude oil up four, 3984 a barrel. In the financial markets, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 507, 26,780. The Nasdaq down 306 at 10,657. Well, that's a look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for sticking with us. As I always say, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Be sure to catch us tomorrow right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. 
Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.